Welcome to the ProfServe Traction Podcast, dedicated to exploring how professional services and technology businesses break through the ceiling. Here's your host, Steve Prada. So welcome listeners, it's Steve Prada here, and I have as my guest today, Steve Deller, who is the president and CEO of Virid Inc., which is a software technology company in the Washington, D.C. area. And Steve Deller started life as an IT engineer, a software engineer. He graduated from the University of Maryland, and then he worked for a couple of companies, and he rose in the ranks. And in the year 2000, he struck up out on his own to found Virid, which really uh, is focused on helping retailers navigate e-commerce technologies and best practices. And they, they've been doing this for 20 years. So welcome, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you. So Steve, first of all, I'd like to ask you about your origin story. So tell me a little bit about, okay, the first 10 years you were working for different companies, but how do you become an entrepreneur and what took you on the journey? Sure. Back in 99, I was working for a software development shop and we had just started, you know, the internet was was new and we had just started building e-commerce solutions for a number of large name retailers. And at the conclusion of each of those projects, we were always asked the same question, you know, what do we do now? The technology was new, the space was new, and many of the retailers were scrambling to to try to figure out how to operate in this space. And there weren't a lot of resources at the time to help them after their website was created. You know, what types of, of promotions do you want to do and how do you, how do you uh, address different technological challenges and, and the growing uh, space? So because there weren't any companies out there, I set out to create an entity that, that would help these folks transition from, you know, not having a website to having an e-commerce storefront um, back in the day. So I I worked with the company I was a a software engineer for such that I would transition out of the company starting my own. I would help them continue to develop solutions using the tech that we had built in the past. And then I would take over those clients as they launched live. So it was a a very nice, uh, gracious uh, transition from from being an employee to being a partner with a a pretty large software shop at the time. So it worked out nicely Mm -hmm. for for me and, and hopefully for them. Yeah, so it sounds like it was an amicable divorce. Um, And I wonder why you made this step. Could you not have self-realized in that company? Yeah, they they were more focused on the software sides of things. They were not in the the business of doing ongoing support and maintenance and those types of activities. I mean, quite frankly, there wasn't any money in it for them. And so they liked the uh, the one and done type projects for them. So it really wasn't part of their business model. Mm-hmm. Along the way, they one of the, the brick and mortar malls, the Chelsea Simon Property Group, created this online version of that support where they would go out to their various brick and mortar tenants and provide this commerce solution for them as an extension of their their brick and mortar rents. Um, but they decided they didn't want to be in that business either. So there were a lot of perhaps false starts or, or repurposing of their, their, their vision. And we just thought we would take advantage of that. It made sense to us at the time. We kept hearing the same things. It felt like there was a niche in the, the industry that, that we were be filling. 
Okay, that's, that's really interesting. So that was 20 years ago. So what has changed in the last 20 years? <laughs> what we learned is probably what many of the other businesses before us had also learned is that there isn't a lot of money in the services side. It's kind of a commodity. And, and we found that our revenue model was very cyclical. It had ebbs and flows, and it was very difficult to maintain an ongoing business. You know, we have recurring expenses every month, but we work would come in in the holidays and, you know, when, when, when new large initiatives would, would come up. And it was very difficult to predict. And so we then sought to add to our, our offerings in addition to the services and, and just, uh, you know, ad hoc software development type activities. Activities, we decided to build our own product that we could build on top of. That was a, It would give us a recurring revenue model. It gives us more predictable results. We knew our platform inside and out. So we knew what the capabilities were and weren't. And, and uh, that helped us uh, quite a bit. So your company is kind of a, a mix of uh, a professional service firms because you also you provide consulting with your mm-hmm. product and also a technology development firm. So what's special about running a professional service firm and also a technology firm? So Yeah, that, that, that actually created its own challenges for us just because what we did didn't really fit along the lines of what everyone else did. You know, you, you focus on what a professional services company does, and that's only part of what we do. Or you could focus on here are the metrics that a, a product company or a SaaS company does, and those would apply to part of our business. And so trying to deal with all of that, you know, this kind of dual identity was a bit of a challenge, especially because my background is software engineering. So trying to learn business along the way, not having any particular model that fits us 100%, it created a lot of trial and error for us in the early days. What's unique about our solution is, and and this was part of our plan back in the early 2000s, was to create ourselves as a one-stop shop. So we could come into an existing retail operation, do an analysis of their existing website, their integrations, their partners, their plugins, how everything's being done, what features they're doing or not doing on their site, give them guidance to it. And if it was the right time in their their evolution, we could then migrate them to our platform, build the site on our platform, build out the features, and then give them this ongoing multi-year support contract to continue that evolution, to give them support and, and help them grow their business. It, it became what was what is part of our DNA to help businesses grow. So we started out as a leaf and now our logo is a tree. You can see it in the background. So that is our own evolution from a leaf to a tree, but that's what we like to do for our clients. We take folks and move them along their, their growth trajectory until either they, they uh, succeed or are bought or um, uh, you know, move on to uh, even larger things. So how much of your work is actually consulting? So how much do you rely on people diagnosing and giving specific advice on uh, to people's specific problems as opposed to mm-hmm. implementing a software product uh, in their business and essentially servicing that product? You know, as a, as a line item on it, uh, our consulting business is probably small, you know, I would say less than 10%. That said, with all of our existing customers, we are continually consulting. We meet with them every week to talk about initiatives that are in progress, what's coming up. They often present to us with challenges. Uh, we've seen this on this site. We're trying to solve this problem. We want to do this type of promotion. What do you think? And so we're frequently asked to consult, you know, on a weekly basis with our existing 
existing clients. So in that regard, we are consulting a significant portion of our business. The implementation side of those actually becomes less than than the part where we're thinking through problems and working through with our various uh, clients. We like to think of ourselves as a bit of a staff augmentation, you know, so that we're a member of all of our teams, uh, our client teams. And they look at us, you know, the ones that are really deeply embedded with our company look at us as those extensions. When they're talking with a new vendor, for example, they'll pick up the phone and ask us to sit in on that call and kind of uh, be an observer and help them vet out whether or not uh, that's a a technology they want to embrace or whether they should ignore it for its snake oil uh, uh, components. Um, so it's a, it's a great feeling to be part of something. So not only are we growing our own company, but we're helping our clients grow and we're, we share in their success. Can you share with me and our listeners a success story where you kind of started working with a company a very long time ago and you managed to, to get them to the next level, maybe multiple levels? Yeah, I think a, probably a great one is is uh, the, the company Journeys. Um, they're a, a sort of a, a skater themed shoe company. They they focus on that kind of uh, demographic. When we first began discussing their e-commerce shop, it was back in two thousand four, I believe. They didn't have a, an existing e-commerce presence. We went out and 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 helped them build it on. Back then, it was uh, the platform as a software developer we were building on top of, and then later we migrated them to our own platform. And they're still a client of ours today, and they've grown from zero dollars in revenue to a significant amount. I can't share the <laughs> the dollar amounts, but they have a massive following. And then in this current environment, you know, as their stores, they have well over twelve hundred stores. As those stores closed down, all of that traffic shifted to the website because that was the only place you could get by shoes from Journeys. And our site was able to to take on that that load and, and carry them through that time until their stores could start to reopen again. Wow. That's uh, that's amazing. It's going to be highly stressful, a highly stressful transition for a client to suddenly lose their main channel of uh, sale and you know needing to pivot overnight to uh, to online. Indeed, it it has also opened up some new opportunities, you know, in in having to to exist in this environment where you can't have people coming in and out of your stores. We have built capabilities in our system that make things like curbside pickup, buy online pickup in store, those types of, of, of tech available to really the, the mid-market merchants. Uh, typically, that's only available in the higher end, you know, massive scale retailers. And so we built in those types of capabilities and then reached out to the folks that, of ours that were really struggling and came up with ways for them to quickly transition to that, especially with the states that didn't open along with everybody else. You know, some of our clients had stores only in that state. So as other folks were opening up around them, you know, nationally, they were stuck. And so they were allowed to have employees in the store, but not customers. And we have a couple, you know, success stories with those just recently. And now many of our other clients are seeing that we have these great features available and they're trying to figure out how to implement those, you know, in their their supply chain so that they can do curbside pickup. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. What is your vision of where e-commerce is going uh, for retail? <laughs> you know, I I think my uh, my answer to that would have been a lot different a year ago than than now. You know, I think that that with uh, a lot of folks operating at a home and you know being a little uh, reticent to 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 go out to brick and mortar stores, even as as states start to open, I think that the the e-commerce side of things, being able to order and have things delivered to your to your home, is going to increase as well as being able to to, uh, you know, some of this contact-free delivery where you drive down to 
the store and somebody brings it out to your car and places it into your into your trunk, you know, and, the, and there's no real contact there. I think those are going to be significant going forward, at least for the next, you know, uh, five years. Um, I, I think even after everywhere opens, there will be some folks that that are eager to get back into the into the mall environment. But I think there's still going to be quite a few that don't want to have quite that that level of contact. So building those types of capabilities into our platforms and allowing merchants to 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 do both, I think will will really help help a lot, and it'll become the norm. Hmm, interesting. Well, I wonder how COVID is permanently changing the retail landscape. Do you think there's going to be some permanent shifts? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there will be some impacts. It's hard to hard to guess. Uh, you know, I, we're already hearing that there are different strains of this 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 virus that are coming out now after the first round has come. So I think it's going to be around for a while, and that that just our culture and the way of operating is going to consistently have a an impact from from this particular virus, and it's going to cause uh, consumer behavior to be different. But you know, at the core of it, people still need goods and services. And so we'll have to come up with ways that, that kind of cater to the, the, the differing needs of the, of the consumer, whether it's, it's in-person contact or, or, or contact-free or no contact at all. Mm-hmm. So how will, how will retailers compete with Amazon? I mean, Amazon has such a dominant position and they have the free shipping. They do. Um, you know what? I, I think there's still something to be said about buying from destination sites. Journeys is one of them. They have a, a genre and a theme around what they sell and how they operate. And people like to buy from that merchant. There's there's a bit of a comfort, safety, and 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 community that's that surrounds some of these brands. Not all of them. There's also some some challenges with Amazon retailing a to a merchant because Amazon takes such a significant percentage of sale. So it's difficult for them to operate, especially if their margins are thin, in Amazon's environment because it's very price competitive. And so they have to strip themselves down. Uh, There isn't any money to be made. The second thing is there's a lot of fraud on Amazon. And Amazon is continually trying to fight it. And it's so prevalent of people selling fake items. They say that they're a particular brand of shoe, but they're not really. Uh, there, there are reports of, of these types of goods being caught at airports all around. So there's a risk factor in buying from Amazon if you don't know who the merchant is. And, and so I think that, that folks feel a little bit more comfort buying their shoes from a name brand. And so those folks are going to be the ones that, that really win out with this kind of um, you know, the curbside pickup, the buy online pickup in store, the, that type of thing. Amazon's always going to be there. You know, I think that there's a lot of folks that that trust Amazon because if there is an issue, they can return it without any any yep. problems, and they perhaps buy things that are commoditized items that it doesn't matter that this isn't the exact brand. You know, if I'm buying some, you know, some uh, tissues or or rolls of toilet paper or whatever it is, um, it doesn't really matter if it's if it's a you know one brand or another. But for those folks that are really looking for, uh, you know, Converse shoes or or, or something like that, um, sticking with that brand familiarity is going to be important. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the, this shocking uh, experience. I went to buy some Nike t-shirts and when I got in the in the mail, it was a totally known, unknown brand and mm-hmm. I couldn't believe how they could confuse this thing and luckily I could return <laughs> it, but it was still a pain because I lost time. I had to go mm-hmm. to the hassle to take it to UPS store and, and that's, that's a really good point. So uh, switching gears here a little bit, I mean, you've been an entrepreneur for 20 years and uh, you can tell me that it's all smooth sailing, but I'm not <laughs> sure I'm going to believe you. So can you give me, explain or, or tell some stories of some specific challenges that you had to, you were faced with and it was maybe 
very dramatic and you have to overcome it? And how do you bounce back from it? Sure. The, the, probably the biggest one is, is back when the dot-com bubble, you know, burst as around early, early 2000s, 2001 or so. At that time, we were pure services. So we had just made that transition. We were founded in 99. So we were about two years into our running and we were having great success with a lot of, you know, retailers that, that loved having our help and we were uh, seeing all of that. And then this bubble burst and all of a sudden everybody started to curtail their spending. And we back then had this, this kind of revenue curve that was all over the place, typically tied with holidays and, and upcoming events and things like that. And then when they stopped spending, we were really concerned about, about the future of the company. Luckily, we had you know, some money and free time because there wasn't a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of new work coming in, but that, that running room was, was limited. So we kind of sat down being software engineers at heart and built our own software product and decided to pivot. We launched that, as I mentioned before, in 2004. So it took us a, a year or two to really vet it. And then we started to move our existing clients off of their existing platforms and onto ours. So once that happened, we flattened out our revenue spikes. So we got nice recurring revenue every month that made it more consistent operation. We pivoted. It created challenges down the way, but it, it saved. That was probably the biggest impact. We had to really reduce headcount. It was one of those times where it just was so difficult for us as a company, just at a personal level, you know, having to say goodbye or at least put on hold so many of the people that we had we had grown in the last two years to do. It's one of those things that that changed me as a as a, as a leader. You know, I never want to go through that again. And so I'm I'm looking much, much farther in the future now than I did back then. Back then, you know, it was a, like everybody else. It was take off the middle of the day and go rent a, a theater to go watch a movie with your employees. And we did all these kind of crazy things. I have I have definitely calmed down a bit from the from those days. So it sounds like an easy transition. Okay, bubble burst, and then you just developed your own platform. And <laughs> you know, yeah, it was down the road. Everything was fine, smooth uh, revenues and recurring mm-hmm. revenues. So surely that that was not that easy. It wasn't. You know, we we luckily had a, a lot of really strong resources at the time that that sort of facilitated that. I had to take a, a hard look at what you know what were those resources that we had. How do we come up with a way out of this? And and so there were there were challenges. You know, obviously we had never really done a software as a product. Um, really, we never transitioned fully into the software as a service model, although. We like to to say that ours is it really is a, a custom software product that we then deploy and then build on top of uh, on a per client basis. But you know, transitioning from a services company to a software company introduced a lot of challenges I hadn't thought through. For example, you've got a lot of overhead now. Historically, when we did work, we could bill for that time. Yep. Now I had to figure out research and development hours and how many resources am I going to need and now you know, general support type things, Q&A, websites, documentation, all of those types of things that go with a software product. Um, and then within the company, figure out how those communications are going to, to operate because we've got a team of engineers that are building on top of the platform and a team of engineers that are maintaining the platform. How do we facilitate communications? We are still part of the same company, but we don't want to silo uh, those communications such that we're you know kind of at each other's throats. So those were some of the things, and, and I won't say that we're perfect. We're still fighting them you know, every day as new, new things come up, but uh, those were some of the things I didn't really 
realize we would have issues with when we jumped over that that hurdle. Okay. And and who did you uh, lean on? So during that the period when you were growing the company, who were your role models? How did you? You know, I uh, I don't have a particular role model. I I try to to look at as much as I can and and assimilate elements from as many uh, business leaders as possible. Um, you know, I've looked at you know Gates and Jobs and and some of the things they've done. They had two different approaches to a a similar challenge in terms of you know one focusing really on that that customer experience and what would they what would they expect the software to do and trying to implement features that uh, we used to use the term excite and delight you know we try to think through that customer experience uh, in our case it's a b2b type product so what would our merchandisers or our retailers or our advertisers expect the system to do and how would they like it to work you know on the other uh, side in terms of the Microsoft is is, is, is is a bit of a buy versus make kind of thing is you know are there technologies that we want to actually try to build a competitor to, or do we just want to embrace them and, and roll them into the products? There were a lot of other other folks that I looked at in terms of uh, just mostly reading. You know, I didn't spend a lot of time following the leader, but there are a lot of great authors out there that have written some analyses of what good businesses look like and what made them successful over other businesses. And so I try to read as much as I can and adapt what what everybody is saying to my particular instance. So it's no secret that I like to invite EOS-run companies here on this uh, on this podcast, and and you've been doing EOS for almost a couple of years now, maybe eighteen months in. Why did you decide to implement EOS? What was your trigger? Well, you know, like I like I mentioned, when I go through uh, sort of my own vision quest, I look at a lot of different authors and try to read as many uh, things as possible. Gina Wickman was brought to my attention, and and some of his writings, and and when I read through the book Traction, everything seemed to click. They all made sense. Many of the readings that I had done on my own were captured in there, disseminated and and made clear. In addition, he had taken it to the point of how do I implement these things? You know, these are all great to read, but how do you really use any of this stuff? And so as I, I you know, kind of went down that journey and read through the book, all of the things started to click. And so I decided that that really made sense to follow a lot of these, these applications of various different authors. And I started to implement a couple of them on my own, things like, you know, how to organize your meetings in a, in a more efficient and focused manner and those types of things. And at some point we realized that we should just, you know, embrace the entire uh, tool suite, make sure that everybody is on board and, and, you know, kind of paddling in the same direction. And then we sought out a, an implementer to help us uh, transition into that just because it's one thing to read the books, but it's it's much quicker path to success, I think, to, to have somebody kind of guiding you along the way. Yes. I think in today's age, essentially information is so ubiquitous and it's any information is available at the tip of our fingers, and it can actually be confusing to read all the books. So mm-hmm. I myself had this confusion a lot of times that I, I read a book, I got really excited about it, and I started to read another book, and then I was trying to figure out which parts should I implement of that book before I move on to the next one. And you can get to a point where you are absorbing a lot of information, and instead of having more practical knowledge, you actually have more confusion as a result. Right. Right. And uh, I think what US really is doing, and thanks to its longevity, US has been around for now 20 years, started around the year 2000 when Gino created the system. It took him about five years for him 
to perfect it, uh, to take it to the point where other people could implement it. And now we've been doing this for 20 years. And essentially, both the process of, of streamlining it and weeding out bits that didn't work as well and tweaking the bits that did work but not, were not perfect, I think we got to a point where it's a pretty close to perfect framework. And because it's become so known, people now have, it, it has the trust with entrepreneurs so that they are, okay, 9,000 companies have implemented this at least with an implementer, probably 10 times more. Uh, they 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 trust the system and that's what makes it, I think that's what makes it work. If people were unsure whether it was a good system or not, they wouldn't follow the, the book exactly and then it wouldn't work as well. So there's this kind of catch-22 in this. So in terms of EOS, I mean, how, how has it helped your business uh, so far? You know, it, it has helped a, a significant deal. When I first bought into the into the process, I went out and bought uh, several copies of, of Traction, uh, delivered them to my, my leadership team and had them read it cover to cover as kind of homework. I then went out and purchased the second one. Uh, what is it all? What does EOS mean? Or what? Um, I what forgot the, the exact title. What the heck is EOS, right? I bought probably five or six of those and put them into our office library and requested that, you know, all of our employees read it so they knew what it is that we're talking about. And we 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 jumped right in with the, the, the level 10 meetings really to try to tackle, you know, just breaking down what the, the really important issues are and make sure that we're focusing on them first. We have a tendency to to, to you know to, to to address the squeaky wheel and oftentimes let issues that are that are eroding our operational efficiency kind of fester because we're we're making sure we're getting things out and getting keeping clients happy. But in the meantime, the same types of problems continue to exist and keep us from from achieving the next level ourselves. So you know, taking those into place and just organizing, making sure that we have a cadence of, of meetings every week and we're, we're bubbling up those kinds of issues. You know, we're still new at it. We've only been doing it for, you know, coming up on two years, but, you know, we're getting better all the time. The, the second one is, I think, the rocks are... are important for us as a, as in, at the team level is, is making sure that we've got buy-in from a team as to what we're all going to try to accomplish in a, a little longer period of time, you know, over three months so that everything is clear as to what we're trying to do. Addition, you know, you have your, your daily work, but what are we trying to, to focus on, on achieving? I like that because it gives our employees a feeling of buy-in. My personal favorites are the quarterly pulse, um, that getting out of the office, sitting down with your leadership team, you know, getting rid of all the noise and focusing on identifying all of the issues that come up. You know, we have this, this process that we go through with you, Steve, that is great. And it's really just write everything up on the board, every single thing. And then we, we reduce that into combining like things, eliminating the things that aren't that important. Um, and it, it really helps us cut through to what the real issues are that we want to tackle. We break it out into our own leadership rocks. And then from that, we can disseminate it to the team. So we do a presentation at the conclusion of each of those quarterly meetings with the rest of the company. So they know what we as a company are focused towards doing. And then the teams can all pick from that list as to what they think they can they can help with. That one is is particularly a great resource for us. And I think it's very helpful. The second one is the scorecards. 
keeping that that really granular look is here is what I'm trying to do this week and then tracking that number week after week and you're going to miss some and you're going to achieve some but it really gives you a, a feel for how you are doing as a person you know a, a cog in the wheel if you will I've got these numbers and that's what I'm responsible for I'm accountable for it and here's how I'm doing so you know every week and everybody else knows around you whether you're hitting your numbers or whether you're falling short but when you do fall short it gives you that opportunity to go, I tried it. It's not working. What do you guys think? And it gives those other folks opportunities to suggest things that you haven't thought. So it, it's a really great visible way of tracking what you're doing and letting others help you. So I, I love those two pieces in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these, these are two tools that actually go into one of the six key components. So in the chart behind me, the mm-hmm. bottom component is the traction component. And the idea behind traction is that you gain traction by having everyone contribute to your vision. So how do we break down this vision into quarterly chunks, uh, priorities that then the company can rally behind? We call them company rocks. And it's also a great communication device because when you declare that these are our three or four major priorities for the quarter and you share it with the company, then everyone knows, okay, what we are trying to achieve here? And then they can look for ways to contribute to those those company racks. So I, I really love that part about EOS. Well, uh, well, thank you for sharing this. Oh, you're welcome. So you've done, you've read all those books, spent 20 years in the trenches as an entrepreneur. You spent another 10 years as a software engineer in the trenches. Mm-hmm. So that's about 30 years. So if you look back over these 30 years, what would be the advi- advice that you would give to your 20-year-old self that you know now and you want your 20-year-old Steve uh, to know? To know. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought about that a lot. I think I think the, the thing I would tell myself is don't forget the fundamentals. When I started the business, the money was easy. We, we had come up with this new thing and everybody wanted one. And, and I was not focusing on the fundamental business components that needed to be there to, to hit sustainability. We got lucky. Uh, we had some really great folks and we were able to pull ourselves out of a really deep hole but not everybody is. And so had I spent a lot more time focusing on making sure that we have a solid pipeline and we have core core values defined and a culture and, and all of those other things and not focused on the fact that you know checks were coming in the door, I think that we would have been a much stronger company and not had to have fought through the last 20 years. I think we would have been much better. I'm focusing on them now. It's a lot harder to change a culture than it is to establish it from the get-go. And so my recommendation to myself is to really focus on the fundamentals of the business early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 20% that takes care of 80% of the results. Right. Uh, yeah. That's what we like to uh, like to call it, the fundamentals. Basically, EOS also has 20 tools. Five of them are the fundamentals. We call them foundational tools. And so what does your, what do the people around you, how do they understand what you're doing? Because retail and e-commerce can be a little bit out there for most people. Mm-hmm. If I asked your mother what you were doing for a living, what did she say? What did she say? There's, there's a joke that, that, that a lot of the family members say that we're website guys. Um, 
<laughs> and while we do create websites, uh, to your point, it's 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 much more complicated uh, than that. It's often difficult. People are are sometimes familiar with the term e-commerce. We've we've sort of moved into the the retail. We build online storefronts, but everything feels so jargony. It's often difficult to communicate what it is that we do. And and our marketing team has been quite challenged with that in terms of creating these types of messages, so that you get in the head of the person that's searching. You know, I want a you know insert word here. What is it that we do? I don't know that we've, we've come up with a, a great way to explain it, but really we, we help online retailers grow their business. So that most of the time, because it's online, it deals with the website. But we also like to think of ourselves as consultants, that we can help them work through issues with supply chain and merchandising process and who they need to hire next and where they need to focus their time. So, you know, we like to, to think of ourselves as, as a company that helps retailers grow their business. So if I, if I, if I was a retailer, um, let's say I had $20 million sales revenue, I'd like to get to $50 million, um, and I f- would feel like my online presence is really not uh, doing me justice. So how, how could you help me? I mean, what would you do to diagnose my problem? Sure. You know, we'll, we'll take a look, you know, starting with your, your e-commerce process to focus on what are the elements of the website that your customers can use. You know, do you have various different promotions clearly called out? Are you, one of the big things now is, is ADA, WCAG compliance. So are you presenting your content in a way that the vision impaired folks can access your site and get the same information, protecting yourself from, you know, potential lawsuits and and in general loss of revenue. We'll look at the way that you're presenting your products online. Is everything clear? Do you have great descriptions? Are search engines finding you? But we'll also look at who your partners are. What companies are you using for tax calculation, for credit card processing, for all the different alternative payment methods? We found that PayPal and Google Pay are, are astronomical these days. People just love to use their mobile phones because they don't have to go dig up their credit card. You know, Using your thumbprint on an iPhone is much easier than, than having to type in a CVV code and, and all those types of things. So we'll look at all of those technologies that you've got implemented. We'll look at the partners that you're using to see if there's folks that can offer better things, loyalty programs, things such as that. We'll look at overall just general usability, site speed, uh, performance, browser compatibility. Are you mobile friendly is a huge one. We've got some brands, uh, some clients of ours now that are 100% mobile. We have a desktop site, but no one uses it on their desktop. They're 100% phone. So that's hugely important. So if somebody is not hitting those numbers, um, they're, they're, we, we look at, A, can people get to you? Are you using an a SSL certificate that's no longer you know, uh, honored by Google? There are a lot of different things that can cause those. So we have a whole thing. We, we call it a, you know, a, a CRO or it's a conversion rate optimization. We look at why your site's not performing as well as you think it should be. And we have a whole suite of audits that we run. Once we've got that, we'll give a plan on how, whether it's it's just use your existing provider and do some tweaks, we can help with most platforms, or we could move you to our platform and, and take it from there. If you happen to be on, a, on an e-commerce software that doesn't support the things that we're recommending and you really want to embrace those, we can figure out where you want to go. So we'd just like to start by doing an audit of where you are and then figure out a path to get uh, you there. And we do this with our, our existing clients ongoing. So every year we do a, a review of what we've achieved this year, what we think we should focus on next year, um, and then kind of map out that path on when we should tackle each of those things. 
So that sounds like uh, similar to EOS process that you <laughs> yeah, smoke out all the issues yeah. and then you prioritize and you, uh, knock, exactly. you know, set them up, knock them down, make them go away forever. Mm-hmm. And when they come back, then you deal with them. Exactly. That sounds fascinating. Well, Steve, I really enjoyed uh, our conversation. So if, if someone wants a great uh, website, uh, a retail <laughs> company, how, where can they find you? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the quickest way to find it is, is to go out to our, our website and just, uh, we have a, a chat. We can get you online with one of our folks immediately. If you want to talk with me, they can put you in touch with me most easily that way. Yeah, that's that's probably the best so way to start. Beard.com, so they, they just go beard.com and they find you through the chat or yep. they shoot your email. You also are on LinkedIn. We are. Uh, so I'm on that. LinkedIn. I'm uh, yeah, on, on Twitter as well. On there as well. Organics, so, yeah. Well, Steve Deller, uh, President and CEO of Virid Inc., thank you very much for coming on the show. And we'll be back next week with another entrepreneur telling their story. So, thank you. Thanks for joining us. This was the Prof Serve Traction Podcast with Steve Prada. To learn how your professional services or technology business could break through the ceiling with EOS, visit tractionequity.com.